You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits, B Pro Kennels, Final Rise, and a Nook Shook Professional Dog Food. And on today's episode, I sit down with Bob Owens from Lone Duck Gun Dog Chronicles. We talk retriever training, force fetch, bird dogs, and get into his story into waterfowl and bird dog training. Big thanks to our title sponsor, B Pro Kennels. B Pro Kennels is a small business creating ultra high quality and custom dog boxes for the gun dog owner like you and I. No matter how big your string of dogs, B Pro Kennels will make sure you have a box that fits your needs for you and your gun dogs. With an innovative storage design and built-in solar panel and battery bank for quick access to charging accessories like dog collars, lights, fans, you name it. This is a dog box unlike anything you've seen before. Check them out at bprokennels.com. Oh, and they're made right here in the USA. And this is presented by Anook Shook Professional Dog Food, the world's highest energy dog food, period. Anook Shook's dense formulations ensure your pup in training and your seasoned bird dog get what they need to succeed in the field. High protein for muscle recovery and retention, high fat for quick access to much needed energy. Anook Shook works hard so your dogs can work harder. Check them out at anookshookpro.com. This podcast is also presented to you by Final Rise. All good things start with a solid foundation. At Final Rise, all three of their premium Upland vests are built around the foundational waist belt to provide you all-day comfort and endless customization. With a secure waist belt and thin, high-quality shoulder harness, this is the vest you can load down with birds and walk all day in. Final Rise is creating high-functioning Upland gear that delivers comfort, balance, and a lifetime of memories. Check them out at finalrise.com. And this podcast is sponsored by Trinity Bretons, home of the Epignol Breton, also known as the French Brittany. All Trinity Breton dogs are from champion bloodlines that are field-tested and family-approved. For over 33 years, Trinity Bretons has worked to offer you the best-bred Epignol Breton in the country. Trinity offers puppies, the Trinity Upland Academy with George Hickox, Started Dogs, Stud Services, and a whole lot more. Check them out at trinitybretons.com. And we're back, baby. What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Upland Rookie Podcast. I'm your host, Will Larson, and that was my best Bob Owens impression. Uh, back in the early days of this podcast, I, uh, I would kind of break that out uh, every now and again. Uh, Bob's been <laughs> crushing his intros uh, on the Lone Duck Gun Dog Chronicles podcast that he's been running for quite a while now, and uh, he is our guest on today's episode. We talk a ton of training, uh, specifically force fetch, uh, which I think is going to be super helpful for a lot of people out there, no matter if you run retrievers, uh, pointing breeds, whatever it might be. Uh, force fetch, I think, is a really, really critical part. Um, if that's something that you value and you want your dog to do, retrieving your game, um, you're going to want to tune into this episode. Uh, Bob's got a ton of great knowledge that he shares with uh, the listeners. Uh, Bob's also created, guys, a, a new force fetch course that is available out there there uh, on the Lone Duck website. Now, I'll link 
Uh, I'll put the website link in the show note description. So you guys make sure to check that out. He also has made a special promo code available to all Upland Rookie listeners. So um, again, I'll put that in the show notes and we'll share that at the end of this episode as well. Um, But uh, for all listeners of the podcast, you guys are going to save 20% off of the Force Fetch course that Bob has created and just released a couple weeks ago. So if you're interested, make sure to check it out. Use the promo code and uh, I think it's going to be a really, really helpful tool for a lot of people out there. Guys, we are so close to Christmas, so close to the end of the year. Uh, we're on episode 70 right now, uh, which is kind of fun. I think every every 10 episodes or so, I think it's a kind of a mini milestone. Um, so I just wanted to say thank you um, to all the listeners out there. Thank you um, to every single person who has been uh, in one way or another um, supporting the show. And that's through uh, listening to the podcast, uh, you know, subscribing to the show, listening to the podcast each week, uh, sharing it on social media, uh, sharing uh, posts, tagging us in in stories on Instagram or Facebook. Um, that's a way to support the show uh, through Patreon. I want to thank all my Patreon supporters out there for, um, again, supporting the show through Patreon. Um, you know, there's, we do some special, uh, we do some uh, giveaways and some special things for Patreon members. And, um, but thank you for, for saying, Hey, you know, I love this show this much. I I love what you're doing and uh, you guys are, um, supporting the show through that way. So really, really appreciate you doing that as well. Um, and then just your feedback, I get tons of messages. Um, you know, you guys just saying, Hey, we, we love this, or, uh, maybe you have questions, uh, you know, follow up questions from a, from an episode or two. Um, I love interacting with, with each of you. Um, learning more about your stories, your dogs, your journey, why you got into this as well. And so um, however you help support the show, thank you uh, for uh, tuning, uh, I guess, tuning, tuning with me. It sounds kind of weird, but staying with me uh, through 70 episodes. It's been a ton of fun. Um, Bob and I actually talk about this a little bit in the episode. I always love to chat with a guest um, when, when they're doing a podcast, love to kind of get their take on, okay, why'd they start it? What are some things they've learned? And, you know, you'll hear, you know, even Bob shares, like, you got to keep it fun. You got to keep it something that you're passionate about. That's fun for you to do. Um, you know, especially if you're, you're kind of doing a podcast on the side or something like that, like, like I'm doing, um, it's been fun and I want to keep that at it. Um, I'm going to talk about things that, uh, I'm interested in and I think you're interested in as well. And so all that to say, um, thank you guys for, uh, for another great year. Uh, 2022 has been one heck of a ride. Uh, lots of cool things have happened out there, uh, through the show and, you know, dogs. I've picked up another dog this year. Um, you, you know, you guys picked up new dogs, all sorts of cool stuff. And so I think it's a cool year to look back on and, uh, you know, just, just be thankful for, you know, what you got to experience this year. Um, new country you, you got to hunt, uh, new people you got to hunt with, uh, new dogs you got to watch or uh, shoot a bird over a point. There's a lot of cool experiences out there that um, we've all got to take part in. Uh, maybe some of us got to hunt uh, more than we wanted. Maybe some of us didn't hunt as much as we wanted. Um, whatever it might be for you, I think we all can look back and just say, hey, 2022 was, it was a year that you know we can walk away uh, with, some, with some memories from. Uh, you know, I got, I got some really, really fond memories from, uh, September and October hunts and yeah, I didn't hunt as much as I wanted to. Uh, I know we have, we have more time left of the year to hunt still, but, um, 
those memories are special. Those, those things will live with you forever and I encourage you to write those down, uh, journal, put them in a note on your phone, whatever it might be. Um, you know, don't let this year end. I guess my encouragement to you is don't let this year end without writing down a hunt or two. Um, or if you're ambitious, write down all your hunts, <laughs> you know, what were, what were some things you remembered? What were some things that stood out to you on those hunt? Who, who are the people you got to hunt with? Maybe it was a grandparent or a, a parent, a sibling, a friend, a coworker, uh, a niece, a nephew, whoever it might be. Uh, what were some of those things that, that you got to experience with people out in some beautiful country over some great dogs? Uh, those will be things we can look back on, uh, years and years from now. And uh, be able to recall with again your your kids, your grandkids, whoever it might be. I think this that's a cool thing about um, about upland hunting. Dogs, uh, you get to be with some great people and make some incredible memories. So, anyways, that's my long winded kind of end of year <laughs> wrap up and encouragement. Um, so get out there and uh, make some more memories. We got more season left to uh, to go go shoot some birds. So. Anyways, guys, um, what was I going to say? I do have a couple hats left. If you'd like one, message me on Instagram uh, on the Upland Rookie uh, page. That would be ideal. I get messages on both pages. Um, it's a little easier if you message me through the Upland Rookie page on Instagram. Uh, i got a couple hats left. I'll try to get those out to you as fast as I can. Um, so let me know about that. And then otherwise, I think we're going to wrap this up. I'm going to try to get another episode out this week. Um, we're going to try to do a tailgate talk episode with the good old Jeremy. So got him on the hook again for another episode or two. We'll see. Um, so stay tuned for that. And otherwise, I um, hope everyone has an amazing Christmas. Uh, spend some time with your families. Get out there with your dogs, loved ones, all that good stuff. And uh, make sure to eat some good food. That is for sure. All right, guys, we're going to jump in to episode 70 with Bob Owens. Well, cool, man. Well, Bob, why don't you uh, put us on a map? Where where are you talking to us from? And uh, just tell us a little bit of, of who you are. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate you inviting me on the show. And um, I'm excited to talk dogs and hunting and everything with you. So uh, I am from central New York. Uh, Syracuse is where I kind of grew up. And then we bought a farm north of it. And it's a little town outside of Pulaski. And if you're a fly fisherman, Pulaski is like a hot spot mm. for steelhead and the trout run and salmon oh. run uh, for Lake Ontario. So a lot of people come here from all over the Northeast to fish and I'm right here. Um, I go south in the winter, which we kind of just talked about a little off air, I guess. Yeah. But it gets cold and snowy and wet and nasty. And so when hunting season is over, all my clients come back and we head to South Carolina and Georgia to continue progressing these dogs and competing. But uh, home is central New York. Very cool, man. Very cool. Well, I'm, I'm really excited to uh, dive into more of your story and uh, just hear more about, again, you know, training, trialing, get, get hear about more of your passion and that. So I appreciate you uh, you jumping on here. We'll, uh, so uh, we'll get into this more in a second, but just kind of curious, will, will clients then bring your, their dogs up to you in New York and then you bring them down south or do they meet you in South Carolina? All of the above. All the, okay. All <laughs> Everything. Above. So um, as my business and kennel has grown, uh, the clientele has kind of spread out, right? So I've got clients in Virginia that we're literally texting like, all right, I'm at this exit. Okay, that's two hours for me. And we just and meet. <laughs> Drop on a dog south. off. and 
Yep. Just literally get off an exit. They pile in and we keep rolling. But for the most part, you know, Connecticut, Ohio, New Hampshire, Vermont, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, they all kind of meet up here. We get the dogs acclimated and get buttoned up and then we head south. Um, and then when we get home in April, it's kind of the same thing. Some will get picked up along the way, or as soon as I get here, they give me a day or two to decompress and unpack, and then <laughs> they get dropped off and we get rolling through spring, summer, fall. Nice, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. It's got to be a blast, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, it's Oh, I bet. I bet. Um, I mean, one thing, so so you have the, the Lone Duck Chronicles uh, podcast out there. You've been doing it for, gosh, how, how long now? Uh, I think we just cracked 150 episodes and I think that's about three years. Okay. Congrats and to that. Man. That's, like, that's no small feat. No, it's not. And it kind of turned, it was one of those things where, you know, there weren't a lot of people doing it three years ago. And my brother, who's the co-host and like producer of the show, hence we were having technical difficulties. Everyone <laughs> yes. I had to call him. I'm like, I got no idea how to use this equipment. <laughs> And how to turn it on and talk. <laughs> so um, he does it with me. And then we have friends, acquaintances, and some other folks that, you know, I just, you hit up and say, would yep. you like to join us? And it was a pipe dream. I didn't know people would listen. I just figured, let's try it. And it grew and grew and grew. And it's really fun to do. It's really fun to talk like me and you are, like get to know each other and, concepts with dog training and i get to ask people who are better than me questions like front row seat to say sure. like dude i'm struggling with this with one of my client dogs what would you do and it's you just dive into these great conversations that uh i really do believe i'm fortunate to have sure and the platform to share it so it's cool because knowledge, you know, everybody who does this, you're going to hear people say like, be a sponge. You know, if you're working with your own dog, be a sponge. And so I get to be a sponge and then share that info with a lot of people. Sure. Just by talking. Yeah. That's crazy, man. I mean, you know, I, I always find it fascinating whenever I have, I've had a couple of guests on here, you know, Nick Larson and a couple of guys like that who have been doing it a while. I like to spend just yeah. a couple minutes just of like kind of learning like, okay, why'd you start it first off? Like, like what was it that you said, Hey, I'm going to, you know, turn a mic on and <laughs> open up my computer and start talking. Like, like what was that for you that, that led you to even start it? Uh, I guess in the grand scheme of things, you know, we had a social media platform like Instagram and Facebook and, you know, barely a YouTube channel back then. And Kevin and I were sitting having dinner and a beer and said, what else could we do that would be fun? Like, sure. I don't want to do it if it's a pain in the butt. Let's do it if it's fun. And so we talked about what it meant to have a podcast and how often we should do it. And, and so we just did it. And one of the reasons I started Lone Duck before I was a dog trainer, it was legit a t-shirt hat company, like an online apparel brand. <laughs> and I wanted to help other people like myself learn how to train their dog themselves. So at the time I had no expertise and I would go to really good dog trainers and they would gift me information and I'd pass it on. Hmm. And we did like, gun dog of the month contest, picture contest, all sorts of sure. community driven things. And my social media grew 
Long story short, I quit my day job as a salesman eight years ago and went and worked for a dog trainer um, and I never looked back. And so taking the idea of the podcast of I got lucky to learn from a lot of people. What if we share that in a different medium other than videos or blog articles or Instagram posts? Like, let's just have good conversation with people. Talk dogs, talk duck hunting. Sure. And uh, I just sometimes, dude, I need to be pinched of like why people even listen. Sure. But they do. <laughs> like, yes. What they do. I mean, I'm a, I'm a case in point. Yeah. I mean, I, I started my my whole upland hunting journey, like got my do- my bird dog and I was like, well, I, I need information. I need resources. So I turned to podcast. There's a couple, this is four, four and a half years ago or so. So there's just one or two that were out and I started yeah. crushing those and learning a ton and yeah, it became a, became a consumer that way. So that's, again, help, help me along my journey, inspired me, gave me some, uh, some tools. So that's how I am. It, it was it was just a way to give out information and have fun doing it. And I mean, like, dude, I don't, I think I've done one or two podcasts without a beer. Like you're just <laughs> right. unwinding at the end of the night, yep. BSing with friends, talking about dogs. And it turns out to be information that helps people. Yeah, exactly. No, <laughs> so you got, yeah, you, you said it right. You got to pinch yourself like, wait, people are listening to this on a regular basis. <laughs> What are you guys doing with your life? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, I got a, I got a full-time job and family to look after. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe people are, oh, are doing this, but that's, that's crazy. What, um, there's one more question on this. I mean, I've gotten in the last like couple months, I've gotten a lot of people reach out to me and say, Hey, like what, you know, give me some advice on, you know, starting a podcast, not necessarily a hunting podcast, but do you have any like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, two or three things that, that you would say, you know, to, to, to be successful against successful relative term. But, you know, if you're starting your own podcast, like what are, what are one or two things you would, you would tell someone? I think you just have to do it. I think being niche is helpful because then you're targeting a specific audience. So for us, it's hunting dogs, like you more specifically the upland, me more specifically retrievers, but I've had guests from the bite dog protection sports world Mm. I've had um, a bunch of pointing dog guys on and gals and it opens up, you know, other avenues for those people's followers to listen, but uh, find the niche that means something to you. So like I was kidding around today. I got a haircut today. If you notice that it's looking fresh. great, looking great. Yeah. Ate that Christmas haircut. <laughs> um, I'm sitting in a barber shop and these dudes are talking about football and I was like, this would be a great podcast called The Barbershop. And <laughs> it would be talking football, bad haircuts, and grumpy old men that come in. <laughs> you could crush it. People would listen. It'd be comedic. It'd be fun and related to life, sure. right? Um, or I've got a couple buddies who are dads with like girls under four, right? No. And so it's like girl dad podcast. Sure. You could do legit anything. But if it makes you happy... And 10 people listen, then they tell 10 people and five of those 10 listen. And all of a sudden you get this little audience that's just fun. Don't go into it looking like you're going to make money because it, (laughs) I mean, it it doesn't really pay the bills. Like I can't quit being a dog trader and just be a podcaster. It's just, it's fun. Keep it fun. Um, You don't need super expensive equipment at first. I think Kevin and I invested in like $200 in microphones and iPod, iPod, or iPod, iPod, the white yeah, yeah, headphones. Like we were super cheap for the first like dozen, 
And then it's like, okay, people are listening. Let's spend another 200. And then over time we've got, you know, it didn't work tonight, but we've got, like, <laughs> we tried, we tried though. Stuff. Yeah. We got the Joe Rogan stuff and it's kind of cool. And I don't know. It's, if I had to give the advice, it's just do it, be niche, have fun with it and it'll grow. Mm. I think, I think social media platforms like Facebook and Instagram is where you can spread the word about your podcast because it's not going to just pop up normally. Sure. Right. Like it's got to be searchable, findable. Yeah. You got to put a little work into it. And yeah. Sure. But once you get that first few listeners, it's very rewarding. And then you get feedback from them that they enjoyed that episode or they cracked up at this or, you know, we've got stupid ads that, you know, I talk about Kent cartridge bismuth and I just like snort and wheeze the word bismuth and people come up to me at hunt tests where we run the dogs and I'm like, mm, bismuth. like that's what I sound like. You, you, <laughs> I will, Bob, I will just tell you, you have some of the best intros out there, man. I'm just going to say, I was listening to a couple in prepping for this i was like oh, i'm gonna tune into a couple more episodes and uh going through your your can't cartridge and your traeger ones <laughs> I, yeah, was, I was cracking up them, baby smoke them if you got them i guess oh, so yeah gosh. we have we just have fun it's, yeah. that's what it's about if you aren't enjoying whatever little side hustle you're doing don't do it because yeah. then you'll stop after 10 of them exactly Dude, that's well put as well put. Um, well, awesome, man. We're going to dive in here. I, I'm curious on uh, your kind of entry into hunting and dogs and, and training. Can you back up? Like, Where did that start for you? Did you grow up in a hunting family, dog training family? Like, like take us from the beginning. Like what, what got you into this world of, of dogs and hunting? Yeah, cool, man. Good question. Um, I grew up in a family where my dad hunted growing up, hunted and trapped all growing up. And so he had this photo album that I would flip through. Like we don't have photo albums anymore. We have- What is that? What's a photo album? Yeah. Kids won't even know what that means. (laughs) And uh, I used to flip through it and he went to college in Wyoming and went out to Colorado and he hunted rabbits and deer and trapped beaver. and, And I just was like, man, my dad is freaking cool. But he became a police officer, and when he saw a lot of bad stuff happening, he stopped wanting to shoot things. Mm-hmm. So we grew up shooting guns. I mean, I was probably five years old, plinking twenty twos, and you know, we learned how to clay bird shoot. And but I had this idea of when I grow up, I want to hunt. Uh, fast forward, probably high school time, which was late 90s early 2000s probably there was a tv show called ducks unlimited's water dog tv Hmm. it was a duck hunting show but it it really revolved around the dude and his dog and it stuck with me Hmm. and to this day at 35 and i was 15 16 17 sure It stuck with me for that long that I don't remember the name. I remember the dog's name. I remember the dude's name. I remember where they hunted. (laughs) But the relationship and stories that he told with him and his dog were inspiring. Yeah. And so it clicked like, okay, I like to hunt. I started hunting a little bit at that age, but I want to be a duck hunter and I want a dog with me. 
So yeah, went you guys, to college. Sorry, real quick. You got, you didn't have any dogs prior, really, right? Like any hunting dogs or anything. We had a chocolate lab family okay. dog. Um, that's another part of my training story. Of he was so bad, he'd run away. <laughs> he'd pull us down the road on the leash. And I had other people in my life that had dogs that could walk off leash and go on hikes. Hmm. We couldn't do that with him. Sure. He was a dink. He didn't do anything we asked him unless he felt like it at that moment. And I'm sure a lot of people can relate sure. to that. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. So at a young age, I remember getting drugged down the road. <laughs> it, I, I'm probably <laughs> even remembering it right. Like it's a Christmas party, slushy, snowy, crappy out. And my uncle Brian had a well-behaved lab that he could take anywhere and do everything with, right? Not a hunter, just a good dog. And I'm like, bloody, wet, <laughs> and cold. And I'm crying to my dad and uncle Brian saying, I want a dog like his someday. <laughs> and, and it stuck. Yeah. And then there was an old timer that used to hunt with my dad that had English pointers. And he would do horseback field trials with them. And he gave me an encyclopedia from the 1950s of the AKC dog breeds. And so I memorized from A to Z, every breed, where they originated from, what their job was. And so I could recite it all. Like it's still a drinking game for me to watch. the <laughs> Just go the, through the list. Yeah. The Westminster and be like, ah, Papillon, <laughs> your drink, you know, like, oh, that's oh, awesome. Newfoundland, have a good one. Right. I can still name a boatload and like pick them out and tell you where they're from. And, um, what else? So that was kind of like the early, early ages. Sure. I went to college and fell into a group of guys that took me deer hunting and duck hunting and, okay. and nurtured it. And my first paycheck ever out of college, I bought a yellow lab. Oh, nice. And I read, I read every book, every DVD, and he became very, very good. And, I started Lone Duck and it revolved around the unspoken bond, the mm. relationship between a guy or gal and their dog sure. and the memories they make and the hardships of training and that first retrieve or that first point and like all that stuff that you did with that dog getting to that point and then finally finding a bird and then finally actually hitting it. It, it all comes together. All comes together and it's, it's that relationship that makes it special. Yeah. So, uh, that company, this company took me all over the country. I packed my gear. I'd take a week vacation from my sales job, drive all over the country, selling t-shirts and hats and e-collars and wingers and everything like almost like gun dog supply out sure, of the back sure. of my truck. And I'd sleep on couches with trainers and learn. <laughs> and it opened up the opportunity to quit my job. So, and so you it. knew, you knew pretty early on. So again, getting out of college, you got the yellow lab. And so you already knew, so, you know, you take a regular job, but then you knew pretty early on, it sounds like that you wanted to be training dogs, right? Originally, I don't know if I would have told you I want to train dogs. Okay. I knew that dogs were going to be a part of my life in some way, shape or form. Hmm. Whether that, like I thought, and it's coming into fruition now, but a breeding program where I'm creating a line of dogs that are special to me that are going to be special for other people. Um, I wanted to be in the outdoor industry. Okay. I wanted to hunt all over the country with my dogs and share those experiences with people. Like I wanted it all sure. is what I thought, right? <laughs> but I got, like, I was getting good at training 
and I wanted to get better and better and got bit by, I can do, I can make this dog special. Hmm. And then you see great things happen. And then the next day they don't. And you're like, okay, now I got to figure this out again. Mm, Back to, back to the drawing board. Yep. And so definitely got bit by the training bug and I, I ended up taking a job. I'd had two dogs at that time. Now took a dog, uh, I basically did anything from collar conditioning and obedience all the way through T pattern. So stopping on a whistle and handling, I did that for a year working for someone else. And then, uh, I think I was like 27 or eight and it's like, all right, I need to go home, figure this out. Are you a dog trainer? Are you a t-shirt and hat company? Hmm. What are you going to be? And it's really hard to make money selling t-shirts and hats. (laughs) If you are listening and you're like, boy, I'm going to start an Upland t-shirt <laughs> company. Take Bob's yeah, advice. Take my advice. It's tough. <laughs> um, not impossible, but it's tough. And so one dog turned into two, turned into six, turned into 10, turned into this summer. We had 43 dogs in the kennel. Good Lord. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. So it's been a cool ride, That's man. super fun. Uh, one more question on this. How? So again, I don't know what years this all is um but like as far as like learn you learning about dog training and learning Mm -hmm. to be the best trainer and how you wanted to train your dogs like what were some of your resources or or what was your approach to learning yourself again uh, again it's early 2000s so not a lot of podcasts or things like that yeah so like what what did you do to grow yourself yeah the world has changed significantly right Um, but back then it was books and a couple DVDs. So one of the DVDs that I'm a big fan of still to this day, and you've got to go find a DVD player, like an old TV that's got one. Get one on eBay. Yeah. Uh, but it's Chris Aiken, Duck Dog Basics. Okay. And he broke it down super simple from obedience to introduction to decoys and gunfire and force fetch. And he... He made it very entertaining. He's a cool dude to watch and it was educational. Now, did he show you the trials and tribulations of what can go wrong? No, it was, but it was A plus B equals C. And if you did A plus B equals C and your dog was normal, it worked. Mm. If you had a problem, yeah, you were up the creek without a paddle. You're like, this has not helped me. (laughs) Right. Um, There's a trainer named Mike Lardy in the retriever world. He, He is world renowned. And his DVD program is where you learn details, uh, really advanced skill sets. And so I watched that thing 20 freaking times. (laughs) It's like 10 hours long, but I watch it going to bed, watch it in the morning, watch it during work when I shouldn't have been, you know, just soaking it all in. And I also was a big fan of Caesar Milan. Huh. Okay. And so not just training the dog, but understanding how a dog interacts with you and learns Uh, and understands corrections and behaviors and the psychology right behind it. So I watched every one of his shows and I just, I was from the, I mean, even at eight years old, reading that freaking encyclopedia, (laughs) everything I could learn, I I tried to. Sure. And so it kind of developed into somewhat of a skill set. Yeah, that's good, man. That's good. Now, now those first couple dogs of, of your own that you trained were, do you, do you hit any of those walls of like, oh shit, what do I do now? Like the, the dog's not responding to a, you know, a plus B equals C. Sure. Um, 
I think everybody does. I'm trying to rack my brain on some memories. I think back then I would, and I've spoken openly about this on my podcast. I was not like angry, but I'd have a short fuse. So like if he didn't get it, it's like, you son, you're terrible. Sure, right? sure. And I'd Sell like, him. Ruin my training. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, or if he like couldn't find a duck on a hunt, I would be like, I can't, this dog just sucks. Mm. Yet I completely forgot the five that he just hammered sure. and were difficult. And, and so that's one thing, like piece of advice for people is they're not remote controls. Mm. They have a mind of their own. They have good days and bad days. Just because they screwed up today doesn't mean they're bad. It doesn't mean that they don't understand. It just means that they were off. Sure. And so you, you more look at weeks at times, not one session. Yeah. If they, if they aren't grasping it today, tomorrow it might click hmm. or five days from now it might click. And then you start actually seeing that ball move forward instead of every day should be perfection. Sure. Um, so I think I learned a lot from Buck on that and he was a very forgiving dog. Hmm. He was exactly what I needed and my personality needed back then. Okay. Like if I had him now, he, he, he'd have been a stud. <laughs> um, but he, he really still turned out amazing. He ran blinds. He could do multiple marks. He could hunt with other dogs. He was the best, to this day, best pheasant and duck hunting dog I've ever owned. Mm, wow. And he didn't reach all the titles either. Sure. But he just knew. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, this is not, I, I like this conversation a lot, Bob, because I don't get a lot of, uh, again, mainly Upland folks on here, you know, we're talking sure. Upland bird dogs, um, pointing dogs, some flushing dogs, but um, the, the retriever side of things, it's kind of a unknown territory for me a little bit. Um, I had Goldens growing up, but there was, again, family pets and all that. Um, so do you, so with your training program, are you training prim only uh, retrieving dogs? Uh, now I would say, yeah, but back in the day, man, I needed to eat and I was tired of peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> so got Brittany, I, send it over. Heck yeah. If the check cleared, I trained it. <laughs> so, um, I've done a good bit of pointing dogs. I've trained two utility prize one dogs. I've trained a few NA prize one dogs. Um, those were all short hairs, couple draughts, okay. uh, Griffons, Satters, um, Vishlas, one Brittany, like a little bit. Of, yeah. <laughs> You're like, send it over. <laughs> that's right. Yes, I do do those. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so do you, with your dog, I guess with your personal dogs, do you do any, like, will your dogs hunt both upland and waterfowl or, or is it just, your life is just so focused around waterfowl. It depends on the dog. It depends on my goals with the dog. And I own an English setter that I grouse and woodcock hunt oh, nice. a bunch. With. Okay. Yep. It's one of my favorites. Like I'm a duck hunter. I get it. But I bet you I've hunted more grouse this year than ducks. Oh, really? Yep. I, I enjoy it. It's a grab your boots and your gun and go with the dog. Yeah. I can go for two hours. I don't need my boat, my decoys. Yeah. <laughs> a lot less crap. So much less. And just there's, so in central New York, there's different pieces of cover still that are good grouse. And, uh, I just, I enjoy doing it, yeah. man. I, I really love it. Now my, her name is Andy. 
she and I like don't train. She gets ran on the four wheeler <laughs> before the season again. Sure. We get her back in shape, uh, do a few pigeons, like have some fun getting her back in shape. But I do the opposite of what I tell everyone else to do. She gets like a six week crash course sure. of getting back. Kind like on the back burner. <laughs> yeah, sleeps on the couch, yep. eats a sock or two each year. Like that's Andy girl. <laughs> and uh, and so, but she is my grouse and woodcock machine. That's cool very naturally gifted, um, fun little dog to hunt. Yeah. Um, the other dogs, the ones that are going to be like my bad to the bone retriever competition dogs, I don't put them in the upland fields. Okay. And the reason being is when I want to run a blind retrieve, so I'm send them on a straight line and they better stop when I tell them to stop and they better go the direction and perfectly where I want them to go. Sure. I don't want them to go into hunt mode. Yeah. I need them to think when I'm retreat when I'm doing a mark, a bird I see fall, I am using my eyes, then my nose, and hunting a specific area where I saw it fall, boom. Then switch that off. Let's work as a team. And by a team, I mean I'm the coach, captain, and end all be all. <laughs> you go where I tell you, when I tell you, how I tell you, and I'll get you there. Sure. Some of the dogs that I've had that were really good pheasant dogs ended up getting out in that field and be like, oh. you know, I smell something. It's like, yeah, I know you do, but we still got to go this way. Sure. Don't trust your nose so much. Trust me. And so my, my high end competitive dogs, I don't pheasant hunt with them. Some of my other dogs I pheasant hunt with, and then I've got Andy for my grouse and woodcock. Okay, so, so it's I'm, I own like ten dogs yeah. now, so, so I can you kind got of the different tools tools for, tools for right. the job. Right, where Buck, my first dog, he was the Swiss Army knife. Mm. We could do all of it, and he was very good at all of it because he got exposure to it. He got experience. Sure. So. You know, I'd get out of work at four o'clock when I was probably supposed to get out at five and he and I would go pheasant hunting (laughs) and we'd go, you know, go kill two pheasant in New York state and, you know, do it again the next day. Yeah. And, uh, so he got really good at getting in the thick stuff, the thorns, you know, cut up, bleeding, and just, he was eaten up by finding those birds. And it also made him a really good duck dog because if we knocked one down, in the beaver swamp and it swam under some logs, he was raking those logs mm. away to get to that bird. Wow. So he, he was pretty well uh, adjusted to yeah, any yeah. hunting. Pretty versatile experience. sounds like. Yeah. That's cool. Yep. That's cool. Um, this might we'll get down into the trial side of things a little bit. What, I guess, what led you to the trial side of things? Um, you know, I, I know you, you compete quite a bit, pretty heavily in that stuff. Like what, what led you down that path? Um, a few different reasons. I would say the first reason that's probably the most right is it extends your duck season. Mm. So duck season is 60 days long. Now I roll into hunt test season and I can have the camaraderie of my friends and training partners on a weekend event. Um, it was competition. So we set goals and we achieve them. And then once you achieve it, it's like, boy, but we could do this next. And then you achieve it and you, so it allowed me to keep striving with that dog instead of having the basics and being like a good basic gun dog. I wanted a little more, a little more, a little more. It pushed me, it pushed him. And I got bit by the bug 
And then lastly, business-wise, it's accolades for me and the dogs. Sure. So if you send me a dog and I put some titles on it, it proves to you that I did my job. It proves to you that your dog's capable of these things in the heat of the moment. Sure. Um, the dog has worked extremely hard over the course of its life to become proficient. And now I have proof that he can accomplish it. Sure. It's not like he's a good dog. It's he's a good dog. And, yeah. um, and so it's accolades for the dog. It's something to be really proud of. They're fun. It extends your duck season. It's a challenge. You sure. don't pass every single one. So you learn from your mistakes and grow. Yeah. Um, 98% of the people on these weekend events are ton of fun to be around. Mm. So make friends from all over the country because of it. Yeah. And, and these tests are all, they're all the AKC trials, right? Like the pass or fail model. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, so there's a difference between hunt test and field trial, which is same in the upland world. Right. So, um, majority of what I do is AKC hunt test, pass, okay. fail, junior, senior, master. Okay. And then we have a master national, which is like your big deal. Okay. Um, I've ran some field trials, so it's win, lose, first, okay. second, third, fourth. Wait, so real quick, there's a field trial for retrievers? And, Correct. Okay. Okay. I, I didn't know that. Yep. So just like a pointing dog field trial, it's first through fourth. Um, those are super fun. It's something I dabbled in this summer okay. a good bit and was a new challenge sure. and pushed me and the dogs and our clients and, you know, just a good experience to get better. Sure. Um, then you've got, you know, kind of like there's NAVDA and then AKC pointing and then there's horseback sure. field trials and, um, shoot, refresh my memory, N but Nastra like, and all that stuff. Yep, yeah. Yep. Shoot to retrieve and all that stuff. Like, there's so many little games that you can play depending on what you and your dog enjoy sure. that there's no reason yeah, you got for options to, out there. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason for people to only go hunt their dog 10 times in a year and do nothing else with it the rest of the year. Sure. Like, get out there, make friends, get better. Yeah. That's awesome, man. I, I, I've gotten into the Nashville side of things. I, I tried a horseback trial and uh, they, yeah, they've been Sweet. a ton of fun. Like you said, the, the people, um, what you get to learn from those events. Like I always walk away just going, crap, like I learned 10 new things today. <laughs> like, That's right. It's a ton yeah. of fun. Yeah. Super fun. When I was a little kid too, I lived near uh, state land where they would host hunt tests and horseback field yeah. trials. And I could hear the gunshots from my house Okay, and I'd hop on my bike and pedal. <laughs> ride up there. And ride up and be like, oh my gosh, they're running the pointing dogs now. And I would watch them ride off on the horses and do the whole deal. And man, it was, it was cool. So yeah. I got bit by the dog young and that's cool, man. I love it. Part of life. A couple random questions for you. It, as you were talking, I was thinking of these, um, this might be a little hard to articulate. Um, so what, what kind of, like, again, in the retriever world with labs, dogs, you're seeing, like what sets a dog apart? Like what sets an exceptional dog apart from your average dogs? Like what are some of the characteristics, the traits, the things that you're seeing in these master hunter dogs that have titles that go on to the nationals, things like that? Sure. I think if I had to generalize it to me, what makes a good dog is a, is a really good team player. Hmm. One that's level headed, but high drive. So I love the dog that comes out wanting to do it is is having the best day ever yet can keep it under wraps 
act like he's been there, if you will. You know, sure. don't spiral like, out play, of play control. cool, play cool. <laughs> so they can stay level headed, yet you know that they're about to do the favorite thing that they love the most. Hmm. Um, the team player, uh, fearlessness, guts, grit, all those things to me make sure. a great dog. Okay. And dogs that have a few of those and lack in some areas still make a great dog and still can reach high levels. Sure. But if I, if I had to pick my favorite, it's, it's grit, it's guts, it's desire, it's determination, it's teamwork, mm -hmm. um, a, a legit love of the game. Sure. Come on. And, and, and you're doing your own, you're doing like a breeding program now, right? With your dogs. So you're, yeah, yep. you're probably looking at all these things and going, okay, what do we, what do we want to make here? Big time. I want them. My goal with my breeding program is extremely great competitors yet. They have to be balanced for the home too, hmm. because let's be honest. Yeah. Most folks hunt, 10 times a year, sure. 20 tops. And the rest of the 340 days a year, it's a family pet and it can't be bouncing off the wall. Sure. It can't be neurotic. It can't be skittish. It can't be, and they got to be good looking. Like you want them to sure. be handsome looking dogs. And so balancing health, brains, athleticism, and a, a genuine skill set to mm. do it is hard to do sure but that's our goal every time we do it we learn a little bit and every time i do it i'm doing it with the best intentions that i want one from this litter mm. i'm breeding it but wouldn't want one sure. i shouldn't do it yeah then you're like well, well why am i doing this then <laughs> right. exactly right. i want to make sure that i'm breeding something i'd want to own and train yeah that's awesome and now are you are these american are these the, is it the english right like two different yeah. kind of types of labs Yep. So there's, uh, so ours are all American. Okay. Um, there's English lab, which is your show dog. It's still Labrador retriever, sure. but they're the show dogs a little bit blockier. The English are the sh like shorter, blockier, right? Yep. Okay. Barrel chested tend to be less athletic, tend to be a little more stubborn. And because they've been bred for looks to win the show ring, they haven't been bred for their instincts and desire and mm. determination and grit. They've okay. just been bred to look good. And so that, that, that was the some, primary focus. Yeah. It just kind of diverged. And sure. that's where you got English versus American. Gotcha. Right. Um, so it's like, they were like this all the way along and in the, the sudden, show ring in the field. And then it just kind of started splitting off. Um, it, the American labs tend to be very athletic, very accurate marking dogs, team players, high drive, um, and then there's a British lab. And so, you know, they're kind of hot on social media and all that sure. jazz. Still a Labrador retriever. Mm -hmm. They tend to be athletic, um, tend to be a little bit softer. Okay. And are a little bit more hunt savvy maybe. So like really good nose. Okay. But, and I'm not, this is the general term, right? Sure. Like there are British labs that I've had that can mark two, 300 yards for sure. But they just, they tend to hunt closer and focus more on nose work. Okay. Um, and those are dogs straight from like England, Ireland, Scotland. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So you can breed them here in America, but their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents all have to derive from the from UK. A, okay. So so the English and the American, they were kind of on the same track and then split. But then the British was over here on a separate track. 
Yeah, they were just from England. <laughs> okay. So like they never got mixed up in our little soiree, Melting like getting pot. fat and happy and then hunters. Okay. So they just kind of like I can pick out a British lab versus an American lab sitting next to each other, but You're maybe person, not. Why not? Right. Okay. That's cool. That's yep. cool. Um, all right. Another question here is kind of random. Go, like a golden retriever versus a lab, especially with the trials that you run. Are your trials you're running, are they in the hunt tests, are they just for labs or are they all retrieving breeds? All retrieving breeds. Okay. Um, there's a list, just like NAVDA has, has a list. Proved breed breeds list. list. Yep. So I won't be able to tell you them all, but like a short hair can run an AKC junior hunter, senior okay. hunter, master hunter. Um, and they can get that title and they'll actually put an R at the end of it. So oh. if you're an off breed, you would be an MHR. Oh, you could okay. play in both. Okay. Well, correct. But like a large monster lander can't. Sure. Don't quote me on that one, yeah. but I'm pretty sure. You someone check like, him. Yeah. Someone slide in <laughs> and tell me I'm wrong. But, uh, but short hairs got allowed in, and a few other breeds that are not chessies, goldens, labs, flat coats, curly coats, poodles can do it. Okay. So you got you got a more a lot more than just labs. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, you know, is a golden and a lab like are they equal and all yeah, that. that's kind of where I was going. Like what like where do they stack yeah. up with each other, generally speaking? <sighs> My go-to answer is no matter what, I think the lab is the most versatile and from proven stock, all those things match up. Like the lab is still going to be more dominant. And when you look at a weekend hunt test, 66 dogs can enter a master test. 55 of them are going to be Labradors. Of that 55 Labradors, 40 of them are going to be black. <laughs> five yellows, five chocolates. <laughs> okay. It's something, you know, like sure. something in that. You kind of right? know like, what you're going to get. Right. And then of the other off breeds, it'll be Chessies and Goldens and like sprinkle in one flat coat, sprinkle in one <laughs> curly coat. Okay. Oh, yeah. The, the quote rare breeds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I would say black Labradors dominate the game. Okay. That's crazy. Is that just, just look style? Is, is that, is that kind of your go-to black if you had to pick? Yeah. You know, so again, my first dog was chocolate. So I have a soft spot for them. My buck was yellow. Okay. So soft spot for them, <laughs> but everything else is, is black for me. Okay. Um, I have a yellow lab that I hunt named Prairie. This is her first hunting season. Um, She's very good, but I think just for me, I'll probably be a black lab man till the day I die now. Okay. Yeah. No, there's something sexy about a, about a, a just a well-built, solid yeah. black lab. Getting out of the water. Yeah. Ooh, a little shine to them. A little shine to Oof. them with a green head in their mouth, sun hitting them right. Yeah. I just think the black lab That's can't funny. be. Do you, yep. do you ever experience, again, just, again, your, your general, the people out there, labs, golden, they get bred bazillion times you know backyard dogs whatever it is do you find it a challenge i guess especially like with your breeding program or, or anything like that like looking at you know whether it's outside stud dogs of just like a, an issue of like i don't know like the narrowing down like the good bloodlines that you want just from the i guess the plethora of yeah the 
Um, is it an issue yeah. at all? Is it anything you, you come across or? So I think that, uh, I don't know how to word this. So I'm just going to say it yep. and it'll be taken. However, it's taken. <laughs> exactly. But, but I think anybody who has a dog that they like, whether it's a boy or a girl, they're like, I should breed this thing. I want a puppy out of old Hank hmm. or Jesse is the best female lab I've ever had. I want to have a puppy off of Jesse. And so nobody will really normally breed to them. And so the neighbor down the road's got a purebred papered up, you know, and I'm air quoting, sure. right? Papered up lab. And so they breed that dog to their dog. And I bet you some of them are really good. Sure. But when we do it to be the best we can be at it, I want to make sure all the health clearances are done. There are diseases in a lab, like I'm sure there are with Britney's and short hairs and everything else that we can't see. Sure. So if they carry the gene, they may not be affected by the gene, but they carry it. They could pass it on. And, if you read, and then you can pass it on. And then now they are affected by it and it's a cluster. Hmm. Um, plus I want one, like I said, I want it sound in the mind as well. Sure. So I don't want screws loose on the dog. I don't want too much drive to where they become neurotic and needy and or, or aggressive. I mean, there are dogs that are so exceptional at their job that they got bred, but it was overlooked that they were super dominant and a jerk. Sure. But they were really good at what they did. Hmm. And so I don't want to pass those things on. So when, because mostly I have females, I've got two boys that are puppies that if they turn out right, they'll become a part of my stud dog program. But if they don't turn out right, I can't, I have to be mm-hmm. um, subjective or objective, whatever the one is, where yeah. you be like, hey, I love you, but. Yeah, like you're, you're still amazing. You're a great dog. Just not what I want to pass down. Yeah. And same with my girls. So I'm very specific of what I'll own and breed. Yeah. You know, I've got three dogs and Andy that even if they aren't perfect and I can't breed them, I can't sell them. Sure. They're like our family. They are sure. definitely our family pets. They're and on no sell list. Yes. But then I've bought and sold dogs that just didn't make the cut, whether it was neurotic, um, ugly. I mean, just straight up like <laughs> just, bad coat. <laughs> bad I'm sorry. Coat, I love man. you. You're, you're good, but. But you're ugly. Yeah. And you just don't want to, pa- for me, I don't want to pass that stuff on. Sure. So, um, being very specific and, uh, deliberate on the decisions I make so that again, when I have puppies that they're ones I want to own. Sure. That's great, man. Now, I, I think a lot of people, that's a, I shouldn't say that. I think a lot of people, I feel like a lot of people, you know, I, I've done this, like you get a young dog, you love the dog, like, oh, I'm, I'm going to breed him. Well, it's like, he's a pup. I don't know what he's going to be like in two, three years from now. Like want to see how he develops and yes he comes from great lines but like i just want to like make sure that it's a dog sure. worth breeding and passing on to more britney's down the line so i think that's a good it's a good piece of advice yeah i think people need to just relax on the idea of it's a great dog i need to breed it do we really want to pass on everything sure and if do you check all these boxes and you're doing it responsibly then go for it. If not, there's plenty of puppies to go (laughs) around. There's going to be more. There's going to be more. 
Yeah. Love it, man. Um, I want to get into a little bit more uh, kind of on the training side of things. I know we wanted to, to kind of touch on uh, some force fetch stuff as well. I know you got uh, a cool new uh, course. You uh, Is it out now already? It is out. Okay. Yeah. It launched a couple of weeks ago. Nice. I'm nice. Sorry, I know. Yeah. Let's get into some training. Yeah. I mean, stuff. let's just dive into force fetch a little bit. I, I guess first off, uh, tell us... <clears throat> what first i'll just just get out tell us what you develop a little bit and then i want to get into the weeds a little bit more on like force fetch some of the things myths people hear and, and talk about and we'll, we'll pick yeah. apart a little more yeah absolutely so about two years ago i started filming a group of young dogs as they went through my force fetch program and years and years ago i started with ear pinch so you start with hold teach the dog to put something in their mouth and relax with it in there. Then we would move to ear pinch. You pinch their ear, make it uncomfortable, put that dowel or paint roller. I like a paint roller, but you put that paint roller in their mouth, take your finger off their ear. Now it's comfortable. Pinch their ear, put it back in their mouth. Sure. Now, you know what I'm saying? So it's uncomfortable, comfortable, and yep. praise. You're learning how to turn pressure off, how to react to a stimulus to motivate, to incentivize, uh, create compulsion, mm. to comply with a command quickly and turn that pressure off and learn how to be successful. Mm. Force fetch is not about bringing a bird back and hanging onto it until I take it. Mm. That's what everybody, th that's the end sure. result. Sure. The true reason we force fetch is to create the ability to learn. Mm. So how do I comply quickly? How do I gain success? The faster I do things, the more success I have, mm. the more praise I get. And then there's consequences for not doing it. Mm. So it's black so, and so white. So you're really kind of looking at, if I understand you right, kind of as a building block for future learning, right? As well. Absolutely. Okay. So collar conditioning and force fetch to me is where you build the foundation of the house on how a dog learns to then develop other things now sure. as a as a pointing guy you know i'm not using a lot of pressure during woe and around birds and i'm allowing the birds to teach the dog and so there's a lot of other things as a retriever trainer that i'm doing that aren't compulsion related at sure. all i'm building natural instincts desire drive and manipulating that and growing that and nurturing that this is where like I need you to stop on a whistle at 150, 250, 350 yards mm. and look at me and focus and go where I tell you. I need you to get in the water where I tell you to get in the water and stay in the water. Um, I need you to do it properly, right? So like that end portion of don't drop the bird, please deliver all the way to hand because if me and you are duck hunting or uh, chucker hunting in Utah, or Idaho sure. and we shoot the one freaking chucker <laughs> and your dog drops it and it flies off the ridge and falls down and we never see it again. Yeah. You know, that trip was a bust. <laughs> right. So a good proper hold sure. is key. To hand. imperative. Yeah. And so, so are you then starting, so like you said, collar conditioning and uh force fetch mm -hmm. or train retrieve. Is, is that you're teaching that pretty early then in a dog's life or a little bit like, again, generally speaking, year, two years under that? Okay. So, yeah. So that's where the, the pointing world and the lab world diverge a little bit. So with the Labradors, I'll start formal obedience, collar conditioning and force fetch between six and eight months. Oh, wow. Okay. 
when, when I get a short hair in for training, I'm probably going to collar condition them. So I've got control in the field for recall. Sure. And then put them on birds and let them mature a little bit. And then I'll start honing and reining them in more. And then I'll put some force fetch into it. Okay. Um, so they may be more like 10 to 12 months, I guess. Gotcha. Is when I don't mind force fetching them. Okay. Um, but in the meantime, I'm still throwing them bumpers and birds to get a little bit of natural retrieve out of them. Sure. Um, and so earlier I was talking about ear pinch. Yeah, yeah. So there's two methods, ear pinch and toe hitch. Okay. So ear pinch, you're pinching their ear against their flat collar bumpers in the mouth, turn the pressure off. I, since probably three years ago, I switched to toe hitch. And so this course, which is different than anybody else's course is we went through toe hitch from start to finish. Oh, okay. I showed ear pinch. I taught ear pinch. I talked about methodology of ear pinch, but I showed toe hitch from start to finish. And what I found with toe hitch is 98% of dogs don't resent the process. Mm. They, they learn super quick. It's more black and white. They don't think you're the one doing it to them. It's it's more hands-off Okay, where some of those softer dogs, you could still ear pinch them. I did a ton of ear pinch on soft dogs. Sure. You still can do it. It doesn't matter whether they're hard, soft, skittish. You feel the toe was more pliable to the range of them? I did, okay. but I still like have done all those dogs on the ear pinch. So that's the myth. One of the myths that maybe you were going to ask, like any dog can go through force fetch, whether it's a Cocker Spaniel, a Brittany Spaniel, uh, you know, anything, yeah. Yeah. anything can go through this process. You just train the dog in front of you, work the dog in front of you and their personality. But the process, the idea behind it, the methodology mm-hmm. behind it is all the same. The levels of pressure and stimulation and all that stuff can be varied dog to dog. Okay. The length of their session, like all those things can be varied. Sure. So what, what led you to, so if you were kind of steady on the ear pinch for a long time, what led you to say, Hey, let me try this method. Like what was your reasoning to go to the toe hitch then? A GD poodle pointer. <laughs> yeah, dude. One of your breeds. One of you listeners. One, one of them. What's Scott? One I, them. I know I'm going to get a message from Scott. He's going to message me after this episode. And he's going to. Dude, this poodle pointer was the most difficult, frustrating, lose my patience dog I've ever, not ever had, but like. And I went and was training with another buddy in the South and he's doing toe hitch, mm-hmm. you know, doing his thing. Sure. And I'm like, how long has that dog been on the table? And like snappy like that. He's like, I think we're on like day five. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, this dog is on week three and he is just not grasping what I'm putting in front of him. Sure. And all of his little cohorts in that same group are, are doing well. Yeah. So we put, put this poodle pointer on the table, pinched his toe and he went, whap, grabbed that paint roll. And I'm like, huh, I'm done. Like, <laughs> this is awesome. Wow. So I, I said to myself, I will try it on everybody yeah. for six months sure. and get comfortable with it and feel it out because the, Again, it's the process is the same. Yeah. Uncomfortable, comfortable, and praise. Hmm. Turn the pressure off quickly. You get what you want, and we move on. Yeah. And so I didn't have to, like, learn anything new. I'm just applying pressure differently. Yeah, yeah. 
Same, same concept, so, same, you're doing your same process, just a different exactly. pressure point, really, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it felt so much better for me and the dogs. And I saw dogs grasp it super quickly and progress quicker, yet the end result, it's not like, like quicker isn't always better, sure. right? If someone tells me they force fetch their dog in one week, that dog's not force fetched. <laughs> but if... I can do something in a faster amount of time, yet the the outcome's the, the same. Result, then I'm I'm in. Yeah. So I gave it a real whirl through the next couple groups of young dogs going through force fetch, and I had great success with it. Sure. Couple things that I would say I liked about ear pinch, like sometimes when they make a mistake or they're having like a mental roadblock yeah. during like the collar portion, e collar portion okay. of force fetch you could quickly reach down, pinch their ear and it would almost like unblock it. Like, Oh, I got oh, you. Okay. My bad. Sure. Where now it's like, I'm trying to take my foot and stub a toe and they're like, Oh, I got you. <laughs> and they grab. Right. So there's a little, like, little trickier. Yeah. It's a little trickier. It's a little more finesse. And, but again, I've almost had like the amount of times I've had to do that are, are slim. Hmm. So I really like it. And the end product is great. So again, going back to like the course, I show hold. I don't focus on hold a lot. A lot yeah. of folks out there will put hammers in the dog's mouth and beer bottles sure, all and sorts of stuff. all sorts of weird bristly brushes. And I don't care. That dog needs to get a bumper or a bird and deliver it to hand. Hmm. So I'm not going to trick it. I'm not going to so tease it. You don't it. focus on a lot of the, hey, you know, watch my dog can pick up 10 different weird objects like that. Like do you think, think it makes a difference at all or no? Okay. No, it's just a trick, right? <laughs> so it's, like for, it's all for YouTube. <laughs> That's right. It's all for YouTube. And so, you know, I look at it like there are, are pros and cons to, sure. to me. We're, we're kidding around, right? right? But like the fact that that dog will hold stuff is cool. But if you come and train with me and that dog will hold a wire brush and still carry it around, great. But if it drops the duck three times on every retrieve as it's re-gripping the bird and bringing it back to you, I got a problem with that. Sure. So it's not about those kind of tricks, if you will. It's what's the end product, which is a dog that 99% of the time coming out of the water, on land, a crippled bird, a goose, a pheasant, sure. a chucker, a grouse, it grabs it gently, delivers it to hand nicely. Sure. That's all we want. That's 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 the goal. That's you know what you're looking at. It doesn't matter if it holds a yeah. wire brush or not. Um right. okay, okay. One one my mental roadblock right now is I, I gotta ask this question and get this out of the way. Force fetch, train retrieve, there's other names for it, right? You hear people, it's all the same thing, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There's like yeah. debates online of like, no, it's called train retrieve or no, it's called force right. fetch. Yeah. 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 So like yeah. a lot of maybe your pointer folks follow standing stone. Sure. Ethan and cat are really good friends of mine. They say trained retrieve. It's still the same. Like if you watch Ethan do force, fetch, and you watch me do force fetch, it's still the same concept. Now he does hold different. Like there are nuances sure. that he's learned and work for him and their program at their kennel that I don't do doesn't make his right or mine right and his wrong and mine wrong. Sure. It's just a little bit of nuances. That's why it's like you're learning from me in my course how I develop yeah, what's, all what's worked for dogs. you and the dogs that you've had hands on and, and personally trained. Right. Yeah. So like for instance, they do a lot more hold. I do hold for like three days. Really? 
Once they stop spitting something out, rolling it or chopping it, I move on. Okay. And the idea behind that is like if I throw a bumper for your dog and he's bringing it back, I'm not, and they're done with forest fetch. I'm not telling that dog hold. Hmm. I don't need to because he went and got it and now he knows to bring it back and not let it go until I take it. So fetch becomes the dominant command. Hold is like a throwaway word now. You don't need that anymore. After after he's demonstrating to you, he's holding it, right? Like you can, then you're you're moving on to fetch. That's right. So you fetched it. Now don't drop it until I take it. So there's no more hold. Gotcha. So I really, all I'm doing with a young dog is is placing that paint roller in their mouth. And when they, the word would be like submit to it, but once they just relax, sure. this is not a problem. You're yep. in good hands. I'm just going to pick this up, hang out here for a little bit. Yep. Once they'll do it for five, 10 seconds without refusing it or, you know, thrashing their head or trying to spit it out. Then I start applying the pressure, the toe hitch or ear pinch and teach them how to turn that pressure off. Mm -hmm. Once they start reaching for it and snappy and grabbing it, then I move it closer to the ground and I move it over here and over there and down here and up here. And then I put it on the table or the ground and we work through that. Once we're crushing that, then I move to overlaying either ear pinch or toe hitch with e-collar stimulation. Okay. So back back up on the table kind of go start start at your starting point again toe hitch and then a little, little e-collar e- so actually i stay on the table the reason i said ground or table is like not everybody's going to build a force fetch table oh, and sure. so we showed in our course if you don't feel like building a force fetch table it can be done without one okay. i i still recommend like you don't need to build one you can put up a picnic table or you know those foldable plastic sure. ones for 20 there's, bucks there's you get at home the, yeah horse yeah stuff like that Exactly. So there's ways to do it, but I go from hold to toe hitch to picking it up off the table with toe hitch to collar all on the table. And then I take it to the ground and then I do walking fetch. So now I just am using e-collar and a leash and we walk up to a bumper, fetch, stimulation, dog grabs it. Pressure's turned off. Now I hear heel sit. So I'm starting to create muscle memory of a beautiful, nice delivery to hand and take it from him, put it behind me, walk to the next one, fetch. Stimulation's on, grabs it, delivers nicely to hear heel and sit. And then we force to a pile. So they now leave my side and we'll go and get something and bring it to me. So I can now like send them to go get something. Sure. And then we, in the course, we show you how to apply it into the field on dog stands and all that jazz. And so compared to other ones that are out there that people have watched, seen, or got for free on YouTube or whatever, we, the differences is I showed a bunch of different breeds, Goldens, American Water Spaniels, Labs, um, I don't know, a few others and different dogs. So all their personalities are different. So we had a really tough dog, really like strong willed, like you couldn't tug on his toe hard enough. Then you had ones where you just baby tugged and they're going, Nope, I'm good. (laughs) Right. And, and so you're kind of showing like, this could be your dog or this could be your dog. And you just work that dog through it. And all of a sudden after seven minutes of me tugging on the one who was squealing, all of a sudden she stops and she's going, whap, 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 Mm -hmm. crushing it. And you're like, Hey, don't be scared of this. 
worked the dog through it. I didn't increase pressure. I didn't lose my patience, I, you know, and then sh- look at this. The dog's fine and happy. Sure. We learned something. Hmm. And, and, so, and just because these are, you know, retrieving flushing breeds, doesn't it, the same concept is going to apply to pointing dogs or Britneys or setters. If you want your dog to force fetch, it sounds like, again, all the steps, the process, it's going to apply to that breed. And I would argue that the pointing breeds would be better suited for toe hitch because mm-hmm. you are removed from the situation. You're not putting your hands on that dog. And so I found, again, it was like short hairs and that poodle pointer that really, I felt like ear pinch put a little buffer between us mm-hmm. during that process. Once that process was over, we were back to being cool. Sure. During that process, they really did hold it against me for a little bit. <laughs> They're like, you son of a... Yeah. And, but then, you know, again, you trust the process and they came out of it and became utility prize one dogs. So it's not like we had a rough go any other time, but once I started doing toe hitch with those breeds, man, I had so much easier time. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Talk about, uh, so, I mean, you, again, you might say, tell me if you're wrong or I'm wrong. You might see a lot of dogs of people who maybe who have tried it themselves and then you get the dog at that point. Like what are some, I guess, common mistakes that, that maybe you're seeing on the back end that, that you have to fix if someone says, Hey, I saw a YouTube video. I'm going to try it. Like what are some, some mistakes you're seeing that they're going, Hey, some word to a caution, you know, to people out there, like here's some things, maybe just take your time on, slow down. Yeah. So there, there's several. So this is a really good, good question, right? So I did a short hair years ago that if you just flipped her ear over, she'd start squealing like a pig. Hmm. And what she learned was if I squeal, he turns the pressure off. Oh, wow. So just like I'm trying to flip the ear over and them go for the bumper to turn the pressure off. She learned my dad will stop if I squeal. Just from the little flip of the ear. And so, yeah, so it became to the point where you put <clears throat> your hand on the collar and flip her ear over and she'd start bawling like wow. legit stuff big. Okay. And so I had to put earmuffs on and I'm not pinching her hard, right? Like it's, it doesn't mean I got to go hard on her. Sure, you but just, she was conditioned just from, yeah, just from the touch of the exactly. ear. Exactly. She just conditioned to, if I do this, then he'll stop. Well, then I didn't stop. And all of a sudden she learned to pick that thing up. Jeez. Oh, and by the end of force fetch, she didn't squeal. She was happy. She was great. Sure. Um, so that's one thing where like if dogs react in a way that makes you uncomfortable, like, sure. oh, I don't want to do that to my dog or, oh, you know, they squealed or, oh, you know, his tail's between his legs. Those are all things that are part of the process mm. that if you focus on, I get it. It may not always be perfect. Sure. But. I promise you, if you trust the process, that dog's tail will become waggy because he's like, I did it. Not, oh, I've got to do it. It's like, no, I did it. I built success. I built a dog that learned how to learn. I built a dog how to overcome hardship and achieve something. Hmm. And so you're actually building confidence, not taking it away. And so I think that those kind of things are a lot of the negative vibes on force fetch, mm. but people didn't stick with it and mm. work the dog through it to the point where the dog clicked. Sure. And now the dog's starting to become bold and confident and a badass. Sure. So, so kind of got, um, yeah, kind of saying, people got to work their way through it, stay with it. Like, yeah, if the dog squeals, like it, yes, it's not fun to not wanted, not our goal, no, no. but 
if you take your you, the pressure off the ear or the toe, now they learned, haha, I figured out the game. Sure. And, and that's a good, that's like, hey, I did my job. We, you know, we're up on the table for a few minutes. Now I get to, you know, that session's done. We're moving on. We're going to have fun. That's right. So I want them to figure out to grab that paint roller. And now you've done it and I'm loving on you sure. and life is good. So um, that's one of the common ones. Another one would be just like super sloppy carrying of bumpers, mm -hmm. carrying of birds or hard mouthed where they're yeah. really chompy on the birds or like thrash the bird a few times sure. or the people are constantly hold, hold it. Come on, hold it, bring it here, hold it. And then they drop it at your feet and you're like, fetch it up, fetch it, fetch it up. And the dog grabs it and drops it again. And they're like, fetch it, fetch it up. Hold, on, hold though, hold. Yeah. Bring it here. Bring it here. Oh. And to do that just drives me bananas. It's like, that's not a dog. That's a dog who's legit. My six month old puppy does that. <laughs> sure. You never really progressed. Sure. Okay. So, and that's okay too. Like I'm not, I guess I'm ragging on them, but sure, like sure. those are things that in a, if the dog understands force fetch and I put them through like a refresher course, all of a sudden I can nip those things in the bud and in a quick amount of time, yeah. just hone it and shape it and mold it and then hold it to a higher standard. Then a couple of days later, a little higher standard. And then um, three weeks later, you never drop it again, never chomp it again, never spit it again coming out of water. It's just a nice, well-mannered well dog. There's a, a sloppy... Again, so the dog's bringing it back to you, you know, the bird's on one side, it's, it's I don't know, sloppy. Does that all go back to the whole conditioning, like kind of the foundation of that? Or is that more, uh, like, where does that come in? It depends. Like, I'm not a big fan of dogs that'll grab it by the head or the wing, right? And sure. just like grab just the babyest like, amount of piece. Like with their front teeth. <laughs> yeah, it's like the least amount of effort they're giving you to bring this thing back to sure. you. Um, that grinds my gears. But if they grab it awkwardly, I'm a, like, it's just how they gripped it. So mm -hmm. I don't fret about it, but I will, like, if I have a dog that's completely done with force fetch, they are dialed in, they're the real deal, and they're grabbing it by a wing and carrying it, mm -hmm. I will make them grab it properly. Okay. So I'll either, like, knock it out of their mouth gently, tell them fetch, they grab it properly, praise them. Okay. And now I'm starting to build the habit of doing it the right way. And it's good. Gotcha. But I don't do that until it's over. Okay. I don't ask, I don't say fetch. I don't ask for perfection. I don't demand perfection until the force fetch program is complete. Hmm. Okay. Okay. And then you can create negativity in the field. Sure. But you're, during your process, your force fetch process, you're introducing the word fetch though, right? The command? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yep. So during it, during force fetch, they're hearing fetch, they're doing okay. fetch. Whatever. But if I'm like, that's another common question. Are you still throwing retrieves for the dog during force fetch? I do. Okay. Because I can develop a ton of other skill set in the meantime. So if that dog drops the bumper 10 feet away from me and comes back to me, I'll just go pick up the bumper and let's throw him another one or let's go point another one and shoot it for okay. him. Like whatever. It doesn't matter. But I don't say fetch it up. I don't say fetch. Nothing. Okay. So you're, you're, yeah, you're taking that out of the equation when they're Correct. when they're in the in the session or in the process i guess Correct. okay exactly once it's done then i apply it into the field and after three or four days of applying what they've learned in force fetch in the field it's done dude nice it doesn't nice. need to be done anymore 
That's awesome. Will you, um, do you also have a command for when they, when they give it up to you or is that just all nonverbal? Reach your hand down. Fair point. Uh, during force fetch, I say give, or you could say drop or leave it or mine. I mean, people say sure. all sorts of things to tell the dog that it's now time to drop it. Um, I find that actually when I'm out working a dog, I don't say anything. I just take the dog. Oh, really? Okay. But I also don't want the dog to, you have to be careful with this because you don't want the dog to just naturally react to your hand coming close to it, dropping it it, and drop it into your hand. I don't want that. I want me to take it from you. Mm -hmm. So once you feel me grab it and me take it, you relax and let go. Okay. But if I'm like reach down to pet you, don't anticipate my hand coming to take it. Wait till I take it. Okay. So how, again, generally, like, how was that done though? Is that just, uh, cause you're not, it's not a verbal command, but yeah, what if you just, Hey, I'm just going to praise you for a little bit. You better hold that, that duck in your mouth yeah. or versus him. Yeah. I don't know that that's simple and a stupid answer, but like you just do it. So yeah. if you've got a dog that's just coming out of force fetch and it's fumbling the duck a little bit and it's starting to anticipate you taking it, read that situation. And so now I'm not going to take it every time. Now I'm going to reach down and pet you. If they drop it as Mm -hmm. I'm reaching down, fetch, and you can either deliver stimulation or just say it, but, and then go back to petting them. So they don't, you have to switch things up. So if you're doing the same thing every single time, then you have become, um, you said the word earlier, conditioned, like sure. you have now conditioned what's about to happen. So I may reach down and pet that new dog four or five times, rub their chest, then take the duck. Okay. Throw them another one, then take the duck. Gotcha. Throw another one. And I start to see them like their mouth kind of open a little bit as my hand <laughs> comes down. And I'll just start petting them. Yep. You're like, I don't say anything. I don't, I don't promote them to hold. I don't do any of that. If, if I pet you and you drop it, fetch. Yeah. They pick it up, good dog, pet them, love them, take it. Okay. And it's just over, yeah, over time and yep, it goes awesome. away. Do you ever have yeah. a dog, uh, like is, is force fetch such a critical part of your program? Like you will always force fetch your dogs no matter what, no yeah. matter how good they show you they are at a young age and all that? Yeah, okay, 100%. 100%. And again, it's because it's such a tool to teach future things that you want. You're They're learning how to learn. It's not just about bringing it back and holding it. Sure. And then it's also, if you think about it, it's teaching them that they don't have a choice. And I know that that's probably a weird way to say it, but like, what if the water's too cold? Sure. What if it's too far? What if it's crippled? What if it's a goose and it's intimidating them? Now they don't have a choice. So they feel compelled and compulsion to do it. Sure. And then guess what? They do it. They're successful. They feel good about themselves. They're more apt to do it again and feel more like a badass and they become <laughs> confident. And now they're even better than they were before. Totally. Where if they failed because it's a kicking rooster yeah. and it spooked them and you don't have that kind of compulsion behind it. Now, I'm not saying I would put pressure on a young dog in that scenario at sure. all. I'm just saying they're going to maybe in the back of head go, I know what to do here. I should do it here. Sure. I don't know if I feel comfortable doing it here, but then they do it. Light bulb moment. Sure. And now you've just created a badass. Yeah. Having, yeah. Having that force fetch kind of gives you that. I don't, I don't want to say guarantee, but it gives you that again, like you said, if a dog's second guessing it for any reason, kind of yeah. that'll take over them. But Hey, I've conditioned this. I've practiced this. I know what I'm doing. I need to go, go grab that cripple. 
I got this. Yeah. It gives them confidence. And that's, I think if I had to dispel a myth on force fetches in the end, if it's done properly, if you follow the steps, if the dog understands what you've taught it, your confidence, the dog's confidence and your confidence in the dog, they can handle a lot more of the real world hunting scenarios than, than anything else. Sure. How long on, on, again, generally on average, like how long is a force fetch for your typical dog? A fast dog is four weeks. An average dog is six weeks and a little bit longer, maybe eight to 10. Okay. But I, that's why I'm saying if someone says, oh, my dog was force fetching in a week, he was smart. It's sure. like, no, he wasn't. Sure. You didn't, you didn't put him in situations to mess up. You didn't, he didn't learn that in any instance he has to do it. Mm. Um, so I, I really believe that four weeks for a really good, smart dog that's compl- you know, compliant and happy and fun and smart and giddy up and go, sure. uh, it's not called fun fetch. It's called horse fetch. <laughs> yeah. like but they, the, but, they, but, they, but Bob, the nicer yeah. term is train retrieve, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No doubt. It's definitely more nice to say that. Yeah, yeah. But, but I think that they learn so much from it that I want people to hear me say force fetch. I'm not sugarcoating sure. it. it. It is what it is. It's, it's, it's again, we're out there hunting. We want the bird that we shot that they worked for that we worked for. Like we want that bird back in our vest or. And we don't want it eaten up and chomped yeah. up and we don't want it crippled and getting away. Yeah. And we don't, that's, I think that's where a wild goose chase came from. <laughs> like the term wild goose chase, like. I bet you someone shot a goose yeah. and their dog dropped it trying to find it. <laughs> now they got to find it and go chase it down. Exactly. Goose chase. <laughs> so I do think it's imperative. And I think if you have aspirations to make you and your dog better, yeah. it shouldn't be intimidating. It should be fun hmm. to learn something new and challenge you and your dog to do. And then once you do it, it's going to allow you to take that next challenge with a good groundwork, good foundation hmm. to build upon. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you talked about giving the dog confidence too. I think it gives the handler confidence as well. We're talking about someone maybe training their own dog, doing the force fetch, you know, it it gives yourself a lot of confidence too. You follow the steps, the process, and then you go, okay, I I can do this. I I learned something too in the process and you can uh, walk your your way through it as the handler as well. Absolutely, man. I love it. So what is this, what's a course called that you created and, and where can people find out more about it? Like how can they sign up for it? Like give us the details on that. Yeah. So actually I'm going to give anybody who listens to your podcast a 20% off discount. Oh, fantastic, man. That's awesome. I appreciate you having me on and uh, I appreciate the people listening to us BS about dogs and duck hunting (laughs) and how I got started in this game. So the, the code for any of your listeners is going to be rookie 20. Sweet. Rookie 20. You'll get 20% off rookie 20. Um, the course is, I think we just called it the force fetch course, but it's, uh, it's on lone duck.com or excuse me, lone duck.podia, P O D I A.com forward slash force fetch. So maybe we could okay. put a link. In, yeah. yeah. In I, the will, I will link that to the episode and uh, get that out online when we, uh, when we post it. Yeah, thank you. But it's, it's an hour and 20 minutes. Okay. It's a bunch of different breeds, a bunch of different personalities. It's all digital, right? Just digital. Yep. They sign up, watch it online. Exactly. Yep. And so y- you buy it once and you have it forever as if you bought a DVD. Sure. Uh, or if you bought a book. So you have it forever. Um, there's ways that you can get a hold of me if you and your dog are struggling at a certain point. Um, 
I can help you through that. So, you know, it's a, I worked on it for two years. It's as in-depth as I can make it. It's as comprehensive as I can make it. It's as entertaining as I can make it. (laughs) Um, and, and it's the first course of many that I hope to come up with. We're going to film two dogs coming up here shortly that are going to go through collar conditioning. Oh, nice. So, so it's kind of a a framework for the future of, helping more people via our podcast, via YouTube, via Instagram, and via these courses so that they can be at home and feel compelled, confident, and excited to take their dog to the next level. Dude, I love it. I love it. Can't wait to check it out. I think that's going to be a, a great resource for a lot of people. So thanks for uh, thanks for doing that, man. Yeah, absolutely. So that all, honestly, I figured like if I said that we'll leave it for like a month, what if people listen to this six sure. months from now? So for... From now, like Christmas time, 2022, until the end of 2023. So any listener in the year of 2020, 2023, you guys will all have this code. And I hope that you enjoy it. I hope you learn. I hope it gives you confidence. Or maybe even if your dog's been through Forest Fetch but still dinks around, just get it and watch it and it'll help you fix things. Yeah. Make awesome. your dog the best. You can. Last question on this. Will you take dogs back through force fetch or, or just kind of a mini version of it if they need it or if they're having problems? Yeah, I guess the answer is yes. I would say if they let's just not to sound like a dink, but if a dog came to me, went home for six months and came back again, I may have to revisit it for like a day or two. Okay. Kind of a refresher. And then it's just like it's just a quick refresher. But if you've done your job properly, your eight-year-old, nine-year-old dog should go get things and bring them back and deliver nicely to hand. Sure. Um, it becomes muscle memory for them. Yeah. So it shouldn't be something that, like, oh, we had the winter off. Now it's springtime. Let me revisit Forest Fetch. Sure. It should be a part of your life okay. and your life. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome, man. I appreciate it. Um, as we wrap up, I have a couple closing uh, closing questions I like to ask every guest. Um, so so yeah. this one is uh, a piece of advice you would give the new hunter out there. Um, it could be upland hunter, waterfowl hunter, doesn't matter. Uh, a piece of advice, yeah. you know, someone listening who's, who's maybe just getting into bird dogs, maybe, again, it can be whatever. Maybe training is our passion. Maybe hunting is, whatever it is. Piece of advice you would give someone out there. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, my brain's rattling on like, <laughs> you're in it for the fun. So whether it's dogs or hunting, it's not how many birds you killed. It's not, um, it's not how well the dog did that day. It's the culmination of everything. So in your first hunting season, are you finding more cubbies? Are you finding more birds? Are you scouting better? Is your decoys set up better? You know, what are you learning? What are you growing from? And enjoy the process. Enjoy the ride with your first dog. You know, this is the cool part about breeding. The breeding program is like, dude, I own so many dogs. Like I sort of get, I get puppy fever every time. <laughs> oh, sure. That's still get puppy. <laughs> the real part. Right? But then like, but like then it slowly fades where like when I hand someone a puppy and it's like going to be their first duck dog, that feeling is amazing. And so hold that feeling. Mm. Remember it when the going gets tough and have fun and every memory is special Mm. Um, and write it down, write down those hunts, Mm. write down the birds you harvested, write down how the dog did. And, and that way, when the dog, you know, 13 years from now, when it's gone, you've got something to look back on that's special too. Um, So have fun with it and learn and maybe like, 
maybe find someone who's better than you at it. As far as hunting goes, it's kind of hard because people keep their spots tight, but, uh, you know, and, or if you're the older folk out there, like take somebody with you so that they learn the right way to do it, how to be ethical and have fun. Yeah, dude. I love that. You can now said that better. Um, all right. Last section here, the rapid fire questions. So I'm just going to ask you a couple, a couple questions here and just give me your off the cuff answer and, uh, we'll bring this thing home. Okay. All right. Freeze my ass off in my garage too. So I'm trying, my, 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 my Mr. Buddy heater went out about uh, 40 minutes ago. So. Dang. <laughs> all right. Uh, all right, Bob. So for you, what came first, the dog, the gun, or the bird? I would say the gun came first because dad taught us how to shoot at a young age. Okay. But then, okay. but then it was the love of dogs. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome, man. All right. Um, what gun are you carrying into the field slash blind? I know you're a waterfowler. So, uh, what gun yeah. are you bringing for uh, upland and what gun are you bringing for waterfall? So 99% of the time I have a 12 gauge Browning Satori over under, um, it's got bent ribs, rusty, everything, nicks and cracks and dents. Um, it's my duck gun, my goose gun. And oh, you're, oh, you're even over under for uh duck too oh yeah oh wow yep that's awesome um but recently i've been shooting a ithaca side by side 16 gauge okay for grouse woodcock oh cool yeah that's, that's so sweet, that's man. that's my upland gun if you will yeah, yeah. and then this kills everything else i <laughs> love it that's kind of uncommon isn't it over under for waterfall yeah. yeah yeah i like it people look at me like you're an idiot i'm like yeah <laughs> well my gun so that's what you shoot well so that's all matters that's right that's awesome uh all right favorite dog breed besides the ones you own <sighs> i know it's, this one gets everyone yeah so like i've got the setter andy yep. so but technically i own her right yep, so, so i can't, can't say nope, her. can't be setter all right i think I've had a new infatuation with like shepherds and Malinois from okay. getting to know some friends in the protection sport world. Oh, cool. So I think those would be up there. I, I love chessies. Um, I've trained some really good ones. I've trained some really bad ones too, by the way. <laughs> um, but a good Chesapeake is, is pretty cool. That's cool. I, oh, so fun fact for, uh, for the listeners out there. So when I was younger, we had Goldens and a, Ch and a Chessie. Her name was Savannah. And uh, she's, I mean, I, I still remember her. I was little, but I, I remember her. She was a cool, she was a cool looking dog. Yeah. Yeah. I love them, man. I've got one that I've raised since she was a baby for a client, okay. like in my home. Like when she comes back to train, she doesn't stay in the kennel. She stays in my house. Yeah. She's like my dog more than his. Yeah. Yeah. Nah, she's a chassis and I, I love her to death. That's cool. That's cool, man. Yeah. All right. A couple more here. Um, one piece of gear you would never hunt without. Probably the Browning Satori. I was going to say, you can't say the shotgun. <laughs> yeah. I probably forget half the other stuff that I need. Like I've yeah. decoys the other day. Oh gosh. Yeah. I would say probably duck call. I mean, okay. probably my duck call. Got to have it on you. Uh, favorite bird to hunt and why? For duck hunting, it's a mallard duck. Okay. Just the standard issue, most popular duck in the country. <laughs> Classic. But the way they decoy, the way they work your call, they're weary. Hmm. Um, so it's not easy. You have to do it right to get them. 
And a, it's kind of like a black lab in the sun, man. Mm. When you get a Drake green head and he's sitting on your log in the sunlight, <laughs> like there's nothing prettier. Yeah. Uh, for the uplands, it's going to be rough grouse all day. Okay. All right. Love it. Uh, two more here. Uh, your go-to snack on a hunting trip. Hostess chocolate glazed donuts. The Ooh. white bag where you can get like 25 of them and there they don't go. go bad for me. Like last year's duck season bag is still good. <laughs> they're they're still good. Yep. They you need a whole bag yourself. They get better with age. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thank you for just a classic snack. I've had a, the last couple episodes, I've had some weird snack uh, responses. What's the weirdest snack you've had? There's this there. Okay. Two guests in a row, actually. There's a, some like it's a meat pie that you have to like heat up and you get from, from a certain grocery store. It's, it was weird, but the, what are the chances of two guests back to back there? They both said this weird pie thing. I don't even remember the name of it. It, I mean, it sounded okay, but it's like, okay. Like, gra- like a fast <laughs> grab and go snack. I'm not talking like a meal here. <laughs> yeah. Hostess donuts, baby. Chocolate nice and normal. Okay. Last one. Beverage of choice after a hunt. Bush light. Bush light all day. <laughs> <laughs> Bush light. Do, yeah. do you get a Bushlight sponsorship yet or no? Uh, they don't pay us. No. I guess there's legal reasons they can't pay people, but we get some Bush gear there, sent to us. Oh, here there you go. There. there you yeah, go. So they're, good, they're a good brand. They're cool people. That's and awesome. uh, yeah, Bushlight all day. There you go, man. There you go. Well, Bob, thank you so much for doing this, man. This was, uh, this was a ton of fun. I loved uh, learning more about you personally and your story and uh, hearing about some of your passion with dogs and training. So I really appreciate you uh, jumping on here, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate everybody who tunes in. Um, I guess the final closing for me is I'm an open book and I enjoy helping people. Hmm. So if you don't follow, it's at Lone Duck on Instagram. The podcast is Lone Duck's Gundog Chronicles. And, um, you know, if you feel froggy and want to jump on the Force Fetch course, we appreciate it. And I think it'll really help. But at the end of the day, we're here to help and have fun and get more people out there with their dogs and making their dogs better. So yeah. appreciate you having me on, man. I think what you're doing is cool as hell. And uh, it's been fun getting to know you too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it and uh, keep crushing it and uh, looking forward to checking out this uh, force fetch course you got. So appreciate you doing that. Awesome, man. Thank you. All right. Take care. Well, that is a wrap of episode 70 with Bob Owens from Lone Duck Gun Dog Chronicles. Bob, thank you so much for your time uh, and just your wisdom you got to share uh, around training and labs and especially force fetch. I know it's one of those topics that there's a lot of different information out there. Um, and so I just appreciate you kind of breaking it down, talking about some of the myths and uh, also really looking forward to checking out the brand new course you just released uh, on force fetch as well. Listeners, don't forget, uh, code is rookie. 20 rookie 20 is going to save you 20% off the brand new force fetch course from Bob Owens and lone duck Gundog chronicles uh, link will be in the show notes as well as the promo code. So you don't forget get signed up. It's good for basically all of 2023. So no matter when you're listening to this, if it's in the year, 2023 the code is gonna be good hey guys be sure to share this episode or any episode that you enjoyed on social media facebook instagram whatever it might be sharing a show really helps uh let's get out there to more listeners more bird dog lovers hunters just like you uh maybe someone has not heard of this podcast yet and that it could be 
uh, maybe of some help to them. So be sure to share on social media. Keep tagging us in uh, your stories, social media posts. Love seeing uh, what you guys are experiencing out there, uh, chasing birds with your dogs, your friends. So a ton of fun and keep it up. Last thing, don't forget, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, um, whichever platform you listen to. Again, it really helps uh, kind of serve those algorithm gods that are out there, uh, help the show get out there to more people, uh, again, just like you. And so Apple Podcasts, Spotify, rating and review uh, would really, really appreciate that if you have not left one already. All right. I think that's everything. It's been a ton of fun. Thanks for tuning in. And until next time, go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. Take care.